This episode of Ghost Stories is brought to you by Satrix, the leading provider of index tracking solutions in South Africa and a proud partner of Ghostmail. With no minimums and easy, low-cost access to local and global products via the Satrix Now online investment platform, everyone can own the market. Visit satrix.co.za for more information. Welcome to this episode of the Ghost Stories podcast. It's always great to have you here as a listener and a reader of Ghost Mail. And this is another Satrix podcast. I've so enjoyed this brand partnership with Satrix that we kicked off a few months ago. We've had some fantastic content ranging from excellent articles all the way through to some really cool podcasts. I would firmly encourage you to go onto Ghost Mail check out some of the content we've been getting from Satrix. I've learned a lot in the process and it really has been fun. And today we are meeting someone new from Satrix. He's going to have to forgive me if I get this click wrong in his surname. I've been practicing the whole day and then I burnt my tongue on my soup for lunch. So I really didn't give myself a chance here, Duma, but I'm going to give it a bash. So that is Duma Nkenge. No, that's wrong. Duma Nkenge. No, it's still wrong. <laughs> no, I think well. That click is not easy. You're doing very well. Is it? Am I? I think I'm doing horrifically. No. I'm going to try it one more time. One more time, Duma. Let's go. Duma Nkenge. No, I just can't get that click. You see, I was practicing earlier. It went so well until I burnt my tongue on the soup. So Go I'll, right I'll just, just pretend I, I welcomed you properly. So Duma, thank you so much for joining us from Satrix for this show. I think let's kick off with your role at Satrix so everyone knows who they are listening to. And then let's get into some really cool chats around, I guess, some investor behavior stuff in terms of how they think about fees, active versus passive, using ETFs, all the kind of normal stuff. And I'm keen to get your views. But first, welcome to Ghost Stories and tell us what you do at Satrix. Thank, thank you, Ghost. And uh, thank you for having me. My name is Duma here. I'm the business development manager at Satrix. Essentially, my role basically straddles across all the, the segments of the market. So both, you know, the direct market. So we're quite fortunate to have a direct book where we have an investment platform called Satrix now. So for clients who are self-directed, who understand our product and actually, you know, transact directly through us. Uh, we also have a meaningful book as well in terms of, you know, the intermediated book. That's also quite a big chunk of our, of our business where we deal primarily with financial advisors and fund of funds and, you know, discretionary fund managers, et cetera. And then we also have an institutional book as well. So it's basically your pension fund and retirement fund. So I think for us, what's great uh, for Satrix being wholly owned within the Sunlum stable is that, you know, we are able to focus on what we do best. And then we are also able to leverage of the broader, you know, distribution channel. So that's where I get involved in terms of working quite closely with, with the different sales team, you know, in order just to, you know, grow our business and, and get more support, you know, for new and existing clients. I guess that puts you firmly at the cold face of demand for these products, obviously, and the feedback you must be getting from the market all the time about the current stable of ETFs and potentially what people are interested yeah. in or wish they could invest in or maybe are not necessarily investing in. I guess you also see differences across the generations, I would think, in terms of how people behave, how much control they want over their money, actually, the way they invest. I'd like to start there, if we may. Uh, you know, what sort of generational differences do you actually see? How do they think about investing and fees? Yeah, so it's actually, it's actually quite fascinating because I, I feel that, you know, in terms of the generation block I belong in, which is millennium, I'm like slam bang in the middle, you know. In the sense that when the internet was actually introduced, I was pretty much like 10 years old. I'm currently 42 years old at the moment. And so when I joined the workplace, this is when we also see the, the digital transformation, you know, internally, where you have a meaningful size of, you know, the older generation that are used to, you know, the paper processing. 
And then you also have the new generation where everything needs to be digitized. So, you know, being in the, in the middle is quite interesting, you know, just observing different behaviors and also building a business, you know, from a service point of view that actually caters for both. So, for example, I mean, you know, get the younger generation. I've got a younger brother who's extremely interested in investment. I mean, one of the things when I was, you know, talking about what we do as a business, I said, well, you know, you can actually go into our website and then transact. He says, no, 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 no. Our generation, if you don't have an app, you don't have a business, you know. So it's, it's us then, you know, responding to that generation in terms of the ease of access. For them, that's actually quite key. The, the other key piece is, you know, no lock-ins. So they want to have control in terms of, you know, how they can access their money. So they want to invest, but at the same time, they also want to have the ability to actually access their money. So, you know, providing products that have a lock-in element to it is not something that the younger generation likes. And then, I mean, as, as you can imagine, um, you know, especially the great work that you do is that, you know, having a website and podcast where people have the opportunity to actually do their own research, you know, in order to understand the market and investment, et cetera, is key. I guess the other big element, you know, in terms of the younger generation is trust. And then the way we've seen trust playing is more having a meaningful social presence. And then lastly, you know, having said all of that, which is digital, what we've also seen that young people also want to see us, you know, so face-to-face, big engagement is key. Whereas when you look at the older generation, you know, having a physical office for them is important. That speaks to the tangibility and, you know, these guys do exist. Um, what we've also seen with, especially, you know, again, uh, your retirees or close to retirees, what they want to see or uh, as part of the service is that can they do walk-ins? Is there a call center? And then lastly, you know, depending on, you know, how, you know, tech savvy they may be is that the website is quite key. But a strong brand in that space is for auto generation is key, but largely pertaining to how long you've been in operation for. So for Satrix, you know, we've been around for over 22 years and that matters. Now, when we get to fees, surprisingly, whether it's institutional or retail, you know, clients are not necessarily sensitive on fees in terms of converting new business. It's more of a hygiene factor. So if you pretty much there and thereabout, you know, clients are quite happy to do business with you. But what matters the most, whether be it the younger or the older generation, the returns do matter. They're the younger generation, they're more impatient. So most of the time when I engage with them, you know, be it universities or high school uh, learners, is that the first thing they ask is, how long would it take for my money to double? So for them, it's the doubling effect they're more interested in. And then I guess lastly, again, again, which speaks to ETFs in the main or indexation strategies is that, you know, the simplicity of the product, I think also plays a meaningful role for, for clients to actually, you know, invest with us. It's so interesting. And of course, I think the younger generations, I mean, I'm 35, so you've got a few years on me, but I think we're pretty much part of the same generation. If you look younger than that, it's kind of that generation of people who, you know, they expect to have 10 different careers and at the rate things are going, AI is going to force that anyway. You know, there's lots of flexibility. They feel like they can live anywhere in the world, work anywhere in the world. And to a large extent, there's some truth in that, you know. So I can understand the lockups just really not being appealing at all. I mean, even speaking for myself, you know, flexibility is a lovely thing. And I think what happens with the fees is people don't necessarily realize the impact of fees long term. You know, Nico wrote a really cool article for Ghostmail this week on exactly this topic where he talked about the impact of fees on wealth creation over time and, you know, the old cliche of compound interest as a wonder of the world. And it's only really when you see those charts and even for me, and I'm sure for you sometimes you see stuff like that, you're almost reminded you know, of how important that stuff actually is because it's so easy to look one year ahead and just say, well, you know, let me play it safe or 
Let me not worry too much about fees or, you know, let me not maximize the money in my savings account. It could totally be sitting in a 32-day notice. Instead, it's just sitting in a normal savings account. And I'm literally leaving money on the table. I'm busy sorting that out for myself now. So we all do this. And I think it's just because life gets busy, right? But we don't realize the impact it has, which is significant. And it's, and it's massive. De- depending on where you are in your investment journey, I think the impact of fees in terms of how they translate into returns and also from a compounding effect, that comes later in life. But that's the sense I get, is that where we really struggle is that zero to one, you know, to really convince someone to actually start investing. And then secondly, get them in the right product. So again, part of the, the testing the waters, you know, journey in terms of investing is that people then want to actually be invested in the money market. And then just see if my money doesn't disappear. Can I give my money back? I think once they have that comfort, especially dealing with investment platform, is that then they, you know, they move, you know, a little bit up in, in the, the risk return profile where they actually get invested in equities. And once they are there, they just invest in anything. But, you know, once they, you know, burn their, their fingers quite a bit, they become a lot more savvy in terms of what compounding means. A, being invested in the right product and B, being a lot more sensitive around cost. And how that all translates into your overall, you know, outcome becomes extremely important. So I, I gather, you know, for, for people to really take fees seriously and the impact thereof, you kind of have to open up the spreadsheet and do the exercise yourself to really see the impact it has, you know, in terms of just making sure that you invested in a low-cost product that gives you the desired returns and what that means in terms of the outcome. And just while we're on the topic of investor understanding of these products do you find that people have a good sense of the sort of indices that get tracked by the satrix products i mean i think satrix 40 goes back you know years literally but of course there's tons of etfs right do you find that people appreciate just how interesting the etf space actually is or do they see it as kind of the the plain safe approach which is the wrong way to see it actually in my opinion you know it's it's an instrument that's not different to any other equity it just gives you diversification in one go and it lets you take a different kind of exposure to buying one company do people understand that to varying degrees, you know, I think people who have a better appreciation of it is probably the older generation. But, you know, for first-time investors, and I think, you know, the investment community as a whole, specifically the active side of the business, has done an exceptional job in terms of just crystallizing the messaging around uh, the equity market. So if you ask anyone whether they are investors or not, you know, how do you think about shares? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you need to buy low and sell high. And that's where the stock picking element comes in. And I think that's where a lot of people get so interested in actually, you know, transacting via the JSE and actually picking up these stocks, you know, uh, for a cheap with the view that, you know, that they're going to have, you know, some value enhancement or uh, capital gains, you know, going forward by picking the right stocks. But the reality is for people who are starting off, and then there's the same thing with me, you know, joining the industry as an equity analyst, is that, you start off as a stock picker, but essentially you actually need to start off by picking ETFs. And the reason why I say that, I think from a, an understanding point of view, it's a lot easier. So, for example, the top 40. It's a lot easier to explain to someone the top 40 is you're you holding a basket of the largest you know, top 40 companies listed on the JSC. So these are your blue chips. And on a, on a quarterly basis, we rebalance or some, you know, depending if you understand rebalancing or not, we say refresh the portfolio on a quarterly basis, and we do that automatically for you. Then clients are like, okay, cool, I get that, you know? And then for some, I say, well, I mean, if you look at the total market, which is the all share index, is within that, you actually have different sectors. And I say, well, you know, what industry do you come from? So if you're coming from, let's say, the mining industry, you know, then you have a better sense in terms of whether that industry is doing well or not. And say, well, on the back of that, there are companies that are listed on the JSE, and we have a sector called the Resi, 
So if you think, you know, the, the, the mining or the resource sector is doing well, that's how you get, can actually access it. And there's also an understanding in terms of when the sector is doing well, vis-a-vis when the sector is not doing well. You know, the same thing applies, you know, with financial, the same thing applies, you know, with industrial, if you're working for a clothing company or a food, you know, r- retailer, et cetera. So there, I think we've done an exceptional job from an, an explanation point of view. But I guess it also takes time, you know, in terms of just building up that sexiness for younger generation to actually sort of buy into it. But where we've been exceptionally successful is this whole local global piece, you know, where we've got uh, random denominated global ETFs, where we're actually providing, you know, exposure to, you know, global stocks, you know, by investing in RANs. I think that uh, has resonated with a lot of, you know, the, the younger generation. And, and, and we, we continue to, to promote that. And again, we're attaching it to the fact that, you know, you, you may have an iPhone, you may have a, an Android phone, et cetera, et cetera. Now you have an opportunity not only to be a consumer, you can only be an investor. Or do you travel overseas? Not only can you visit these countries, you can also invest in these countries. So it's, it's that messaging you know, of a brand association with investment. Then I guess the next step is factors, or what we call style, where we systematically will track, you know, be it the value style or the, or the quality style or the momentum style. Then, you know, getting clients to actually understand what those mean, given it's, it's, it's all systematic in nature. But what we've also seen is that where active managers have been very good at is, let's call it, for example, it's a value, it's a value house. They've been a very good or exceptional in terms of just packaging and messaging in terms of why they've bought certain stocks, what informed their decision, and some of the clients like that. So what we then say is that, you know, instead of actually having a binary, active versus passive, as as we call it, you will rather have an and, you know. So have your core as as your ETFs, and then around your satellite, you can pick the managers that resonate, you know, with you. You know, obviously, I'm assuming that you've done the work, you like what they do, you like the way they think, you like the investment philosophy, et cetera. And overlay that, there's also an argument around, you know, do I go for a bigger house that's, that's well established, that has, you know, a, a, a total suite of products, or do I go for a boutique house that has a smaller asset under management, a lot more nimble in terms of taking bets and opportunities, et cetera. Again, that's an active decision that clients need to make. And I think for me, that requires a lot of work, a lot of homework, a lot of research in order to get that right. And I guess then lastly, coming to this whole concept around picking stocks, my view there is, you know, you need to do one and two. So, you know, by picking the ETFs and active managers. And then what we've seen with the market in terms of picking stocks is that the market will give you an opportunity to actually buy a well-established, you know, counter, you know, for a cheap. And so you, you kind of have to see that core portfolio as a dry powder in order to take those opportunities. Like, so for example, I often ask people, you know, when Sassel was close to 20 Rand and everyone's saying it's, it's a no-brainer, you know, did you participate? And most of the time, people don't have the money, you know, to actually participate. For example, you know, I often, you know, will ask when we do speaking engagement, I often will ask, uh, you know, uh, interested parties, is, you know, did you participate, you know, when Sassel, you know, touched 20 rand, you know, for example. And then, you know, the market is pretty much saying that, yes, there are concerns, but, you know, there's there's a big value here in terms of, you know, if you get invested and, and also the upside is actually quite great. And what you tend to find is that a lot of people don't take those opportunities because the way they've built their portfolio is that they haven't actually created a core portfolio that gives you the dry powder to take those opportunities when there are those market dislocations. So that's how we pretty much think about it in terms of, you know, how all of this sort of stack up together 
and our clients need to think about it. So, but unfortunately, clients do it the other way around. You know, they want to pick stocks and then they want to go to active managers and then they move into ETFs once they got their fingers burned, unfortunately. Yeah, it's such a good point. And it is actually such a pity. I guess it's just human nature, right? We all think, oh, we can do that. We're going to make it work. And, you know, there's nothing more exciting than getting it right in the markets is when you've gone and you've picked something and your trade works. And in that regard, it becomes a bit of a hobby, which, to be honest, I think is not a necessarily a bad thing, because let's face it, if saving is one of your hobbies, you know, even if you take a loss or two here and there, I mean, you are already giving yourself such an exciting future as opposed to so many other things you could be doing with the money, you know? So that's that, that's really cool. I always encourage people to play around, but what I like about what you said is that concept of having just that little bit of dry powder, you know? And, and what that means for people who don't understand that term necessarily is have your speculative portion of your portfolio. No one is saying don't have some fun, but don't go and put 80% of your money into Sasol, you know, and the other 20% into Tungela at the top of the cycle because you think those companies are great punts and then you look and you've lost half your money and you just can't understand why because you bought these great big companies, you know, how is this possible? How has it happened to me? The reason that's happened to you is because you just haven't understood market cycles. You haven't taken the time to go and really learn about the markets. If it was easy, <laughs> there wouldn't be a whole industry of professionals who studied for years on end and did their, you know, did their horrible years grunting out Excel documents to try and, and figure it all out. So I like that approach. And what I also appreciate about that approach is, you know, it's not saying, okay, ETFs are the, you know, the play it safe, dare I say, the boring, the boring option. They are not. They are a wonderful underpinning a portfolio. I use them myself. They are a great way to say, okay, you know what, this month I just want to add to my equity exposure. I don't necessarily have a high conviction idea on a specific single stock or, you know, I don't have any money that I want to put towards another speculative play or something risky. Let me just, you know, do the right thing and just go and take more equity exposure in one single transaction. For stuff like that, ETFs are just incredibly powerful. No, I, I couldn't agree more. And then that's why I think, you know, there's been a great uptake now in South Africa. And we've done an exceptional work, not just only us and also, you know, other service providers within the space, to, you know, to really drive that message home, you know, in terms of how to use ETFs and how they actually could be incorporated in your portfolio. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, the other big point is local versus offshore. I mean, that's a huge debate in and of itself, right? And Satrix has products that do both. And interestingly enough, offshore the ETF market actually is, is quite extraordinary offshore. I hope at some point in South Africa, we start to see some more of that. But obviously, our market is just so much smaller than it is offshore. You know, there's only so much segmentation you can do on something like the JSE. But more of those sort of offshore style trackers would be really interesting to have access to in South Africa. But local versus offshore is is one of the biggest questions, you know, possible. We did a great podcast on it, actually the last Satrix podcast focused on that in quite a big way. I'm just wondering what your views might be on, you know, the importance of using those local ETFs that reference offshore assets versus people potentially going through the motions, suffering the forex spread, having a punt at overseas, you know, that forex spread people forget. There's nothing quite like 2% uh, on the way out and 2% on the way back. You better be sure. And and they don't price it in, you know. Uh, in fact, it was also going to be part of my explanation around going offshore, you know, and the dollarizing your cash is that it, it actually reminds me of, you know, buying and selling a house. You know, you always dismiss the cost of actually, the cost incurred for house improvements. It's always about, I bought this house for X and then I sold it for X and I've made X returns. It's like, what about house improvements? Like, no, 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 no. <laughs> Let's not <laughs> yeah, talk yeah, yeah. about that, it. That, yeah, exactly. That's something <laughs> I don't want to get into. <laughs> That's exactly how people look at it. 
that is exactly it. But yeah, to your point, I mean, the, the way we sort of, you know, view it and also explain it to clients in terms of having uh, RAND denominated uh, global feeder funds, as you call it, you know, local ETFs that reference global index funds, is we see it as a convenience factor. Maybe as a start in terms of what we have in our product suite, we have currently 12 uh, global feeder funds uh, for clients to choose from. But uh, our flagship is the MSCI World uh, Index, um, which basically gives you exposure to developed markets. So it's roughly 23 countries that you have exposure to. If you look at that basket, it's, you know, it's roughly about 1,509 stocks that make up that basket. So it's quite well diversified you know, for, for clients who are considering going offshore. And then also from a performance point of view, I mean, we've done an exercise that the MSCI World is actually quite a difficult benchmark to beat for global active managers. So you're not compromising you know, on returns as well. But that being said, from a convenience factor from a client that says, okay, I hear the whole story about going offshore, but, you know, should I access it locally or should I do it globally? And I guess for us, we're saying, you know, a client can actually use their ranks. So they're not subjected to what you were saying to foreign exchange processes and KYC, et cetera, and also that spread that you're referring to. So all of that gets done by us um, as, as, a, as an indexation house. And, uh, and then from a pricing point, point of view, I mean, you're getting institutional pricing to do the, the FX uh, spread as opposed to if you had to do it yourself as an individual, you know, that, that spread could really widen and hurt you. So in the region of 2% in and 2% out, as you said. Then for those who said, ah, you know what, I hear it, I'll take it in the chin, it's a buy or strategy. What you really need to also consider is that, you know, uh, you have to open an offshore account. They'll have to do a KYC on you. The KYC process is quite onerous now, you know, on the back of the gray listing. So that's something you need to consider. And then there's that FX, as we, as we spoke about, you know, the, the conversion of the RAND to the USD. And then once you have that offshore account, then you actually do the actual investment. And then also there's the round trip of saying, okay, now you disinvest from your investment. It's in USD, converted to RANDs, and then it comes back home. So clients need to understand the entire round trip in terms of, you know, I, I invested 100 Rand, converted into USD, it was X, da 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 you know, what is the, you know, the total NAV or the total return that you get out of it? And then, you know, you have to do the exercise of saying, well, it, am I better off actually accessing, you know, the uh, offshore via the JSE using products that we offer from a statics point of view, or can I go of my own? So that's one part of it. And so for those who are not looking to actually access ETFs, you know, offshore, they actually want to buy a specific stock. Another thing worth considering is that, you know, the global universe in terms of how big it is. I mean, you're looking at over 9,000 stocks. So where do you start, you know, picking a stock that you actually want to invest in? You know, so it's, it, there's a lot to consider, especially if it's a hobby. If it's something that you do uh, from nine to five, I mean, that's a, that's a different story if it's your career. But I mean, as a hobby, I think, you know, you, you are opening yourself up to, to a lot of risk, you know, in terms of, uh, of losing money or, you know, investing in a security that you don't fully understand or a company that you fully understand and, and therefore you may lose your money. I'll tell you what else people just completely forget is the rebalancing. So, you know, if you go and you do the research and you decide, okay, cool, I've got capital to deploy. I've now done the research on, you know, 30 companies, if you somehow have time for that. I've gone and built my own little index that I want to do and I want to go and allocate money to these 30 companies and you do it, that's great. And tomorrow morning you wake up and uh, the allocation percentages have moved. And of course, in six months from now, actually those exposures look completely different. Now your winners have been running, you know, your losers have gotten smaller and 
actually you can wake up at some point and think to yourself, sure, you know, I actually end up with these really strange looking exposures. Now in a long only portfolio, sometimes that sorts itself out. Your winners get bigger and your problems get smaller, which is not necessarily a bad thing. In a short portfolio, it does exactly the opposite of what you want. Um, but of course, that's beyond the realm of what we're talking about today, I suppose. But still, you know, it, 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 is, a genuine, it is a genuine issue. Because it's all good and well that these things get really big, but the big companies can also suffer huge drawdowns. So if you're not rebalancing at times, you end up with a very unbalanced portfolio and you lift your head and you just go, wow, you know, how, did I, how am I down 20% this year? And it's because that company that got enormous, you know, at no stage was trimmed even when it potentially just became, you know, overvalued. So it's, it's hectic. And the rebalancing is expensive because of tax, you know? Yeah, I was going to say that there's also tax implication and you also need to keep track on these stocks. So, I mean, the interim results, the, you know, the uh, full-term results. So there's a lot that you need to do from a maintenance point of view that informs your rebalancing, you know, process. I mean, I could kick myself so hard about transaction capital. You know, yes, it looked over... I mean, when it got up to... I can't remember where it peaked. It's, it's actually a sore point, but it was clearly very high. And I thought to myself, mm, you know, but it, I'd sort of only just held it for kind of two and a half years. So I thought, okay, six more months and then it's definitely taxed as a capital gain. You know, this will be okay. I'm sure these guys will keep it together. Well, let me tell you, they solved my tax problem for me. The least of my problems now with transaction capital is the tax that at one point I might have owed SARS. I would love to owe SARS tax on transaction capital. That would be a dream for me at this point in time. And that is a perfect example of how, unfortunately, the tax is a serious friction cost. So now what I've done is I've decided to just, just accept it. Like if I'm going to end up paying tax on something, it is what it is. And I need to almost take it out of my decision entirely because you just don't know if something is, is too hot and too overvalued. In this market, it can pull back so hard that in any event, you're worse off than if you had just paid the tax. So yeah, these are lessons that you only learn by losing money. <laughs> I'm convinced of it. And, and, and for, unfortunately, that's, that's how it works. You know, you need to have skin in the game and, you know, get burnt a little bit, learn from it. And obviously, I'm assuming, you know, those learnings will, will you know, will make you a better investor going forward. Yeah, well, yeah, let's hope, let's hope so. So we'll see, we'll see what happens there. <laughs> so, I mean, with all of this, Best of luck. Yeah, with all of this, uh, you know, really interesting discussion around just using ETFs in a portfolio. I mean, how much fun we both clearly have in the markets, I suppose. You know, what is your view on whether or not people can actually be their own advisor? And specifically someone who maybe doesn't necessarily have a formal background in finance. Although I've got to say, I know tons of people who have a formal background in finance and their investment knowledge is very limited. So I'm not actually sure that makes as much of a difference as people like to think. What are your views on this, Duma? I think it, it actually depends on the individual and the personality. It's actually not even whether you come from the industry or not. I mean, I, lo I know a lot of investment professionals, you know, who have financial advisors, for example. I know a lot of also investment professionals who don't actually have PA accounts, uh, you know, your personal account to actually buy and sell shares. So they typically will buy into ETFs or unit trusts, et cetera. So it firstly depends on the individual. I guess, you know, the role of an advisor, it, again, it's a function of what you are looking for. I mean, for example, what you've just described now with transaction capital and also just being mindful around the tax implication. I think when you have a very savvy financial advisor, they're able to actually counsel you when it comes to, you know, moments of that nature. So there, there is that. And, and also, I feel like the, the, the big role that a you know, financial advisor really tries to inculcate as, as, as practice for, or, or habit for any individual is two things. And I think for me, these are the heavy lifting 
piece of investment, that is setting a budget. And a lot of people can't stick to a budget. And part of that budget is an allocation that you need to basically channel towards your financial goals. So I think financial advisors are very good at that in order just to keep you honest. And secondly, you stick into a plan, you know. So for example, you know, why are you investing? What are you trying to achieve? You know, and having those sessions where, you know, you just touch base in terms of, you know, the timing, are we still on track? Are you taking the adequate risk? And then what sort of return are you looking for? And, you know, are you still, you know, within within range, et cetera, et cetera. However, I mean, I've got a friend, you know, just to use an analogy in terms of, you know, whether or not you need a personal trainer. His view is, I just need a personal trainer for two sessions just to show me how the machines work. And then after that, you can go. You know, for others, and I mean, I know a lot of people who've had personal trainers for three years, you know, and, and, and it goes beyond just the physicality of it. There's also counseling that comes with it. So finding the right financial advisor is, for me, I think it's super key. That's where I think a lot of people need to spend some time on. Yeah, I think that's a great insight. Financial fitness, it's a thing, you know, and, and some people need more help with it than others. And there's, there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> Everyone's personality is different. One is not right and one is not wrong. Definitely not. And I think the other thing I would just add to, you know, can you be your own advisor and what sort of background do you need? I think the greatest gift is just reading, you know, literally. There are loads of people who studied finance, but they've done nothing with it in terms of investing. They are nowhere near as qualified as someone who is just reading every day about the markets. You know, that's what I love doing is producing that kind of content for people. There's loads of different things you can read. You know, you just got to find one that you like. And that is more than half the battle won, I would say. No, it's, it's true. And also, you know, uh, finding, let's say, a community of peers who will think alike to, to bounce off certain ideas. So that's also the other part, I think, which is actually quite key, because, I mean, just for you reading alone, you also want to apply a lot of the thinking or test some of your thinking with other people who may be, you know, quite experienced or maybe guys who are new to the game. Because it's also what I've learned is that you learn a lot from, from people who are actually starting off, you know, in terms of just your blind spot, things that you didn't consider, because they're asking, you know, one, one will call stupid questions, but it's questions that, you know, you typically, you know, have dismissed. Because you take it as that everyone understands it, you know, it's, it's acceptable by, by the general norm. 100%. I think, Duma, to finish off, I just want to talk about the Satrix Now platform and just how that actually helps investors navigate this process and makes it easier for them to invest. I guess that's got to be one of the focus areas. Can we just chat a little bit about that so people understand what that is and how they can find it? Sure. Um, I guess where you can find our investment platform called Satrix Now, uh, you can go to www.satrixnow.co.za uh, and uh, you can register but i mean before you register i think it's also quite useful just to share you know with, with with your listeners in terms of you know what are the benefits so the first benefit is that there are no minimums um so you can invest any amount you know it can be 10 rand 20 rand you know a bigger amounts uh, that, that that's fine also what is also worth noting is what, what we tend to find with a lot of clients is that if I open an account with you, you know, do I then automatically get charged a monthly fee? That does not uh, occur. So, you know, to open an account, it's free. Uh, we only charge you once you are invested. So there's a platform fee as well as an asset management fee. Uh, and just speaking about fees, I know we spend a lot of time talking about costs. You know, our costs are transparent. You know, what you tend to find in our industry is that, you know, we show returns. Uh, but what we've done on the platform is actually to show your your capital in rands and cents. So you can see your money growing in rands and cents. And, you know, if there's 
a, a, a market correction you can also see in terms of you know your the, the, the negative amounts so you don't have to do this um, uh, mental arithmetic gymnastics in your head in order to understand in terms of how, whether your money is growing or not uh, from a flexibility point of view i mean the platform again it's, it's it's so accessible and easy for investors so we do have debit orders we also do lump sum and i tend to call lump sum it's not like ten thousand rand it's it's more investing as you grow you know so you you don't have to be we don't force you into a a regime of actually you know doing a debit order even though that's what we do encourage you know once you are registered you automatically have a normal account and a tax free savings account and then we also have vouchers so if you love the platform and you think you know it would be great for your you know your loved ones or family to get started you can generate a, a voucher as a gift to to friends and family and I guess lastly, what is also worth mentioning is that if you go on our platform, we've got roughly um, 51 investment products to choose from. So it's 34 ETFs and 17 unit trusts. So we feel that that's a lot for first-time investors. So what we've done is that we create what we call the access range, and we've narrowed those products to four, as a, let's call it a starter pack. So you've got the, the Satrix Top 40, which gives you exposure to local equities. Uh, you've got the Satrix MSCI World ETF. We've got the Satrix Balance Fund. And then you also have the, the Satrix Money Market for clients to choose from, you know, as a starting point. So that's essentially our, our, our platform, Satrix Now, in a nutshell. Yeah, it's very clever. I really like what you guys have done there. I think it makes a world of sense. Duma, I think uh, South Africa at the moment, it's a tough place. I think a lot of people are, are maybe feeling a little bit downtrodden and in need of a bit of encouragement and a little bit of inspiration. I would love to hear from you, you know, what when people kind of give you that that very downtrodden look, and, and I'm sure you're getting it a lot because I'm getting a lot when I speak to entrepreneurs at the moment, whether I'm doing something on that side or reading sends or whatever the case may be. You know, from your perspective, just why is investing just so important for people? And even when they maybe feel you know, a little bit down in the dumps, you know, how important is it to just stay the course and just keep at it? I think, I think it's, it's, it's very important. I think also investment is very counterintuitive, you know, in the sense that I remember an, an old colleague of mine um, and you were saying, you know, for business, you know, leaders and including investors, you know, the best time to invest is when there's market uncertainty, whether it be it locally or globally, because, you know, the, the, the stocks or the companies that are trading on the JSC, they're pretty much trading at, at a cheap, and then and, and so all that uncertainty is actually priced in. But unfortunately, a lot of people only want to start investing when, you know, there's, there's optimism in the market, but then you're paying a premium for that. Uh, so that's, that's the first thing. The, the second thing is that, you know, investment is a long-term long game. You know, you're looking 10 years, 20 years. And, you know, our view is instead of trying to time the market, you'd rather be in the market, you know, so... Uh, and then just stay the course. I mean, and, and, and what is also worth noting is that, you know, the companies that you are invested in, if you're looking at this basket of shares, these are world-establishing you know, entities. You know, there's also the, you know, the, the benefit of diversification. So you, it's not just one stock that you're relying on. You know, it's a, it's a number of stock that you are actually holding with a single transaction on the ETF. So if any of those companies don't do well, you know, they can fall out of the basket, gets replaced by a company that's actually doing well. So those are the things, you know, one has to sort of overlook um, in terms of what we are dealing with uh, on a day-to-day -day basis, you know, be it what the media is saying, being, you know, what it, you know, the leaders of today are saying and just, you know, staying the course 
and, 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 and looking at what history has shown in terms of how the equity market is done and then you know, holding the view that the equity market will continue to perform in the same vein going forward. Do I agree with all of that? My test is always the bright test. You know, if people are talking about stocks around the fire, market's probably hot, as hot as the fire, actually. If no one is talking about stocks and they've all given up and they think it's horrible and they've gone off and they've bought new clothes instead, yeah. that is a good time to be buying stocks. <laughs> 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 I think that common sense will get you a long way in this game, honestly. I really do. You know, if you if you speak to the the younger generation, they'll probably say it's the Uber driver test. Hundred <laughs> percent. <So if> you... <laughs> the Uber driver test is always my cryptocurrency barometer. I swear, <laughs> that that is it's particularly powerful for that. So Duma, I just want to thank you so much for your time this afternoon. It's been such a blast having you on Ghost Stories. Thank you so much. For those who want to engage with you, should they find you on, on LinkedIn, on Twitter? What's your preference? Or are you also a ghost? No, um, I'm really accessible via LinkedIn. My name is Duman Kwenye and you can, I'm, I'm quite happy to you know, field any questions if there are any questions of interest. Fantastic. Duma, thank you so much for your time. I can't wait to have you back on the show at some point. Good luck out there and uh, let's do this again. Thank you and happy investing to everyone. Thank you.